המגרסה. Good morning to all of our listeners. I'm Yuval, and you're listening to the Cutting Edges podcast, a podcast that makes sense in the world of mess, which we like to call the world of web series. Today, we have a wonderful and very, very active guest, Luke Eve, an Australian director and producer. After directing several shorts and TV episodes, he went in the natural path and made a couple of web series. The first, Low Life, was sold to Amazon, and his second series, High Life, has made its successful run in the past year. High Life is a web series that follows Genevieve, a creative and overachieving 17-year-old student, as she experiences her first manic episode of bipolar disorder. Hi, Luke. It's great to have you with us. How are you? Hey, Yuval. Uh, I'm really good. Very nice to talk to you. Great, great. We're glad you're here. So let's start at the beginning because that's what we usually do. Tell us, <laughs> tell us what did you do before you got to do web series? Uh, wow, this could be a really long answer, but I'll try and keep it uh, fairly succinct for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I guess you would call it a fairly sort of traditional path, although I started late. I, when I was young, I, I did the usual Australian thing of, of jumping on a plane and heading to Europe and uh, backpacking for a little while. And uh, it was meant to be like six to 12 months of living overseas. And that ended up turning into like four years. So I, I, I traveled a lot. And that, in a weird kind of way, gave me a bit of a voice. Uh, and I started um, experiencing things in life and uh, having, I felt like something finally to say, I guess. So From that, I got into a lot of photography, um, and so I was about 25 at that point and realized that I, I probably needed to start sort of concentrating on some sort of career. So I flew back to Australia and I did uh, a visual communication degree, majoring in um, photography. And then from that, I started photographing a lot of uh, local bands and things like that in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And I would uh, start working with different bands and then I would sort of upsell them, I guess, and say, look, I could photograph you, but I would really want to do a music video. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I started building a music video reel and that helped me build uh, essentially a director's reel, which as we know, I guess for most directors out there is really important. Uh, then I got accepted into a, a film school, the Australian Film Television and Radio School here in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And that... was a really amazing place to study it was a very sort of intense place of two years uh, but they that school had spat out a number of like really fantastic directors over the years like uh, Jane Campion and Philip Noyce and people like that sort of really famous Australian directors and so it was a really great place to not only learn my craft but to network and form fantastic relationships many of who uh, many of whom I actually still work with so I'm very lucky in that regards and I then came out of film school, made a couple of short films. One was weirdly successful. We, we won a, a huge festival just after coming out of film school uh, mm-hmm. called Tropfest, which is uh, it labels itself as the world's biggest film festival in that they have an outdoor screening to about 100,000 people. Wow. <laughs> But wow. that was, yeah, quite a, a blast. Uh, and that mm-hmm. opened lots of doors for me. And then I continued, uh, you know, making short films and building up my reel. And then I got commercial representation and would work with a couple of production companies here in Sydney. 
And then that started getting some television work. So I was doing quite a lot of sort of documentary television. But I felt like I'd reached a bit of a point where it was difficult for me to transition from doing documentary television into sort of narrative work, which is what I really wanted to be doing, like similar to my short films. And Mm -hmm. at around that time, I was thinking about moving away from Australia and either moving back to the UK where I had lived for a number of years or trying to maybe move to the US. Um, then I won a green card. Uh, that is such a thing. You can actually win a, a green card to the US. <laughs> is there a lottery? a lottery system? Yeah, through the really? lottery system. Wow, I yeah. thought of saying it as a joke, but I guess no joke no, there. It's, it's actually true. They have a, a yearly lottery system and they give away something like 50,000, what they call diversity visas. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to, to score one of those And so I ended up moving to the US and while I was there, I was like, well, I, I was sort of starting from scratch. I had been working as a director at this point for about 10 or so years and I thought, well, I've come here with a bunch of work behind me but nothing uh, that was so huge at that point in time that it was just opening lots of doors and, and working in the US really is about having something that is suddenly very successful or, you know, they say it has heat, you know, that's a term they like to use. So so even though I had a body of work, it wasn't something current that was really sort of doing great. So I thought, well, let's make a web series. You know, I was talking to lots of managers and and agents and people like that and everyone was saying to me, short films are kind of dead in their opinion and if you Mm -hmm. really want to be getting work in America, you need to be making web series. So... Uh, that was what led to the birth of low life. Mm-hmm. So let's ask the second question. And I'll, I want to know from your point of view, what is a web series and what basically makes it different from classic TV and film besides the obvious fact that it's being broadcasted online? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I should have done some research before we spoke. <laughs> it's your opinion. There's no need for scientific <laughs> facts here. <laughs> okay, good. Look, in my opinion, I guess it's, it's short-form storytelling. So uh, in many ways, it is like mini-television. Uh, I, I would actually say, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think it has to be any particular length. Um, so it's really hard to classify. I think it's a bit of a slippery thing. I think anything that is ongoing and episodic but is short-form, for me, that is a web series. Mm-hmm. So basically, it could be anything online. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, even that is, you know, uh, you know, does that mean everything that's on Hulu and Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime? Is that a web series to some degree? Potentially it is, you know, I think what we're talking about. But, you know, that's more sort of traditional episodic lengths, whereas I guess a web series or a digital series or whatever you would like to call it is probably... Yeah, something, uh, a story format that lives online but is, is generally short form. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been to so many web festivals over the last couple of years. I've seen web series that have ranged anything from like, uh, you know, 30 seconds to a minute to things that are sort of, you know, 25 minutes in length. So it's, uh, uh, it's an unusual thing to categorize at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is pretty sneaky, I would say, at least from my, <laughs> from my point of view as well. So I'm, I'm interested to talk a bit about your web series about high life. I'm interested because the story, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, talks about a girl with a bi- bipolar disorder. And yep. I'm curious when you created it, did you... First of all, it's interesting to hear how did you approach writing a story, telling a story about someone with bipolar disorder and 
also, I'm curious to know whether the fact that you were creating a web series had an effect on how you were planning to tell this story. Yeah, that's a, uh, another great question. I, uh, you know, it, for me, in some ways, it's hard to tell the story of high life without talking about low life. And mm-hmm. um, obviously, the two series are companion pieces. Um, uh, low life, which is a story about a, a, a sort of guy in his mid-30s with depression, is semi-autobiographical. So for me, it was like uh, a story that, for me, was probably like the most personal story that I had told. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't really done that on other projects before. So I found that process like really interesting and also found that by actually being quite public about uh, depression that a lot of people came forward and shared their own stories with me. And, and it changed my life in many ways, like both personally and professionally. I felt like low life was a real turning point for me in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that then triggered for me the idea of doing another series. And I thought it would be interesting to tell a story that was also about mental health, but was perhaps about somebody that was younger and also female. And I'd been learning a lot through making low life and distributing low life that at that point in time, I felt like a lot of online series or a lot of online platforms or channels were interested in stories uh, aimed at a younger audience. So I felt like high life uh, centering that around a, a teenager was the smart move. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, in the background, while this was all happening, I had been working on uh, a feature film over the last five or six years with two collaborators of mine, Glenn and Adam Dolman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are twin, twin brothers. Adam is a producer and Glenn is a writer. And Glenn, growing up, uh, had had a very sort of profound relationship with a friend of his that had had bipolar. And uh, sadly, uh, that friend of his took his own life and it really shaped Glenn as a writer and as a storyteller. And I, I knew that if I was going to make High Life that he would be the writer for it um, just because I knew his, his writing style and his sensibility and his sense of humour. And obviously he had a first-hand account of what it was to deal with uh, somebody with bipolar. So that was how we wrote it. And we sit down and we, we, when we plotted it, we talked really heavily about the fact that it needed to feel like a TV series but short form. So it needed, every episode needed to be what we thought was 10 minutes. We just, we thought that that was a really good length for our story. Mm-hmm. Um, but we felt like every episode needed to have an arc uh, and every episode also needed to have a little cliffhanger at the end so that you would come back to the second series. So we were very specific about making sure that the story was tailored towards uh, the web series format. You know, I had seen so many other web series, again, at different festivals around the world, and often I felt like people had made maybe more of a traditional television episode or a feature film and then they had just cut it up and released it as a web series, Mm -hmm. whereas we really wanted to make sure that our story was, was really embracing the web series format yeah it sounds interesting basically you refer to the to the length to the duration of each episode and talking about the cliffhanger at the end so basically it is uh characteristics of you could also say a tv series or a tv yes. episodes but there's something about these 10 minutes that you have to keep those 
viewers hooked to what you're you're presenting them otherwise they'll go to another app checking their facebook instagram or whatever um <laughs> and and i think that the interesting thing is that when i was watching the, the show high life it was interesting because it wasn't usually well i think that from my experience usually the popular um shows that you get on the internet the ones that have the most users usually the comic ones are yeah. kind of the goofy ones not that i don't like them i like them very much but yeah. your show definitely presents something else and creating a narrative show that deals with a very dramatic subject it is a challenge um do you think that you were successful in doing it did you get feedback from audience telling you how they felt when they watched it uh yeah we knew in, in fact again going back to low life like i knew when we were making that series uh and low life was probably a little more comedic than high life but mm-hmm. i knew that we were trying to do something that i felt was different from you know uh a lot of the web series that i had watched uh like you say were comedic and Um, they were often things that were generally shorter in length and comedic so that people would email them around or tweet about them and they were, you know, much more easily accessible, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to do something that I thought was, you know, with Low Life we wanted to make it almost like a little Sundance indie film but in small bite-sized chunks. So, um, and after we made Low Life and it found an audience and it got like a real following and people were talking about it, then I felt like, okay, well, clearly people, uh, clearly there is an audience out there for different programming and different stories that aren't necessarily just comedic. Mm-hmm. So Low Life was, you know, uh, six five-minute episodes and we knew that High Life was probably going to be even more dramatic, but let's try and make it 10-minute episodes. And... Um, we were surprised that people uh, really took to it, you know. Um, it was also something in terms of our strategy, though, that we didn't release High Life for free online. We, we held on to it so that we could uh, get sales for it uh, around the world, and that was a real strategy that we had learnt from making Low Life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but we received really wonderful feedback. I, I uh, to this day, day you know it's been out for about a year and a half now we we still receive regular emails from people saying um that they had watched it and they were incredibly moved by it or that it struck a chord with them because they themselves had bipolar or they knew somebody that had uh and so i've received like really amazing feedback from uh, a, a vast number of people that has actually been really touching so Um, I'm really, yeah, I'm really proud of, of both series. Um, I also knew with both series as well, developing them and distributing them, I, I knew that, again, like it wasn't going to be something that people would email around because it wasn't uh, a bite-sized sort of comedy that you would send to a friend. Mm-hmm. But we, we, the strategy for us was that if we could make something uh, that we thought was, you know, really nice production values and, and good high-class entertainment, then maybe we would get sort of some critical success and we would get a bit of a following that way. So that was the strategy for both series in a way. And luckily that kind of worked for us. We were able to get some recognition at festivals and, and uh, critical success. So, um, yeah, it was a slightly different strategy on our part, I think. 
Yeah, you started saying about strategy. It's interesting to ask you because you made two web series. And as you said, there's a direct connection between the two in regards of the subject that they focus. I'm curious on hearing about the differences. So you, both of the web series, you've created them in the U.S.? Uh, no, actually. So Low Life, Low Life was actually made in uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a mixture of... Uh, both Australian and American cast and crew. Uh, there are a vast number of Australians living in LA, so it was easy to connect with people over there, either as cast members or crew members. Mm-hmm. So we we made Low Life in America, uh, and it was you know six by five minute episodes, and then we distributed the series online for free. With High Life, we actually made that in Sydney, in Australia. Um, and we received oh so low life was actually crowdfunded as well, so it had a very small budget mm-hmm. high life we actually received uh, a pre sale or an equity investment from Canal Play out of France, mm-hmm. and we were also able to attract uh, screen Australia Finance in Australia, who is the major government funding body here in Australia, mm-hmm. so they were able to come in for an amount of money as well. And so that was filmed in Australia. That was six episodes of 10 minutes. And we didn't actually release it online for free. We had a very different uh, distribution strategy for it that was about trying to get sales for it internationally. So, so both series, even though they were connected and their companion pieces were actually made very differently and, and distributed very differently as well. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, the Low Life was distributed on uh, YouTube or Vimeo? Uh, both. We actually, you know, at the time of making low life, I just had no idea. Like I, you know, I had watched a bunch of web series over the years and just kind of went, well, really, it's just about putting it out there online. So we, 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 we dumped all six episodes on the same day, both on YouTube and on Vimeo. And we had our own purpose built website for it as well. So it was just really just about sort of getting it out there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So do you think there's a right way of distributing your web series? For example, as you said, initially launching it on Vimeo YouTube for free uh, to everyone to watch, or is it better to have a, a distribution deal beforehand? Yeah. So uh, actually, Low Life was sold to Amazon Prime and Canal Play. That worked out quite well for us, but I think the better uh, a finance structure and distribution, sorry, finance structure and, and production model for for us was with High Life where we we actually got Canal Play on board beforehand so they were actually able to come in with some equity um, and some money and then we were able to leverage that to get some Screen Australia money in Australia. So I think th- there's no real right or wrong. I, I think the hard part with web series though, like with any production, is is how to cash flow, is how to finance something and I think if you're making something and then just uh, putting it online, I think that can work maybe for your first one or two web series just as a way of being noticed and to get your subject matter out there. But it's really hard to sustain both a show and a career doing mm-hmm. that. And I was kind of old enough and ugly enough by the time we came around to <laughs> High Life that I sort of went, well, I, I, I don't want to do that again. I think if I'm going to do this, I want to make sure that we – we have some money so that a I could get paid and I could actually you know survive while I was making it, but also more importantly that I could also hire other people and, mm-hmm. and actually pay them as well. So we again 
were lucky in that I had uh, uh, interest from Canal Play, but also doubly lucky in Australia, I guess, in that we, I think, are only one of uh, a couple of countries, Canada being the other, and I think France as well, that actually has government money that supports web series. So we were lucky in that regard. But I, I definitely felt like that was the path to go, and, and I've got a couple of other uh, web series that I'm developing at the moment and already forming relationships with different platforms around the world to try and come in with money up front. So um, I think for me that's just a, a model that's worked well for me. And I think, though, that low life helped with that. You know, if I hadn't have made low life, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to form those relationships and, and that reputation, I guess, then for uh, platforms around the world to sort of take a, a risk on me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think that the future of web series lies in, for, in platforms such as Canal Play, Amazon, you know, Black Pills, if you're familiar with them? Yeah. You know what? I don't know, actually, because I, I think uh, <laughs> the short answer, um, mm-hmm. I, I've just in the last year or two, I've just seen so much change uh, in different platforms um, and broadcasters around the world and their approach towards Uh, digital series um, I you know I, I heard recently that uh, canal play is is moving away from from web series which is a shame um, and I think uh, that is both you know I think uh, canal play themselves were funding and then there was also studio plus uh, and so that looks like that platform might have uh, faded away as well. I think Black Pills has been really interesting that they were funding a lot and then they uh, had some financial problems but then seemed to have raised some more money and are now coming back into the market. But I'm not sure if their traditional strategy of 10 by 10 is still standing up. You know, there was Full Screen in the USA who have now disappeared. Uh, there was CISO, they disappeared. Um, so there's been lots of different platforms emerging over the last couple of years but they've either disappeared or completely changed shape so it's a, it's a it's a really interesting time I think the market will come back but I think what happened is a lot of people overspent and probably bought material that maybe wasn't enough to build a subscription service around and you know I think anything to do with technology and online just changes so much as well mm-hmm. so I think the next 12 months is going to be a really interesting period. Yeah, in regards to all the big players coming into the market. Yeah, obviously Jeffrey, Jeffrey Katzenberg has got, uh, you know, he's raised something like a billion dollars or whatever it is. A to, small uh, amount or so, yeah. A, a small amount, yeah. Just a, <laughs> just a little startup. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfamiliar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <It> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think we're all sitting here hoping that he succeeds. But I think what's really interesting is that Uh, you know, obviously he's going to be banking big-time filmmakers. He's not going to be backing people like myself or, you know, some of these colleagues that I've, I've met over the years traveling around web festivals. And, um, and, you know, there are so many talented filmmakers out there who have been at the forefront of trying to make web series and spread the word. And ironically, we're probably going to be looked, after, looked over, you know, uh, by these big companies who are going to back sure things, you know, um, So I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about that. I mean, you know, I love the idea that there'll be these amazing filmmakers from around the world who will be given a chance to, to make something and then really push and sell uh, web series uh, and maybe, you know, raise awareness for what a web series is. But, uh, but for people like ourselves, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we keep 
uh, forging ahead and uh, raising money for our productions and and then selling them. You know, I was fortunate with High Life that we were able to do that. But again, the, the market is very different now than what it was sort of two years ago when we were financing and producing High Life. So I think, you know, as producers, we just have to stay really uh, alert and on top of uh, movements that are happening out there and and that's almost a full-time job in itself, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's actually interesting what you're saying. I was reading a few days ago uh, this article that was created by uh, Deloitte Institute. They're this um, technology institute and they try to predict, give four possible um, predictions of what's going to happen with uh, online streaming media. Oh, and wow. it was really interesting to see what they like. They talk about all these kind of options, whether Netflix is going to be this mega company that's going to be distributing pretty much everything, Netflix and its yes. similars, uh, or whether local media companies or governments will step in and work for the benefit of local creation and be right. uh, regulating this big, big um companies which is interesting i think that there's something about what you said about this web series created that are already creating in the past few years and doesn't do it with the big money that potentially the u.s is 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 suggesting that's going to happen mm. i i got a feeling maybe i'm wrong i really don't know but i think that there's something about the localism about of web series because eventually a web series can be very successful in france but no one in um, britain will understand it or no one in yeah. mexico will understand it Uh, so I think there's there's some some hope in there. I'm not sure because I'm not really familiar with how things are in Mexico or in France, trying to know what's <laughs> happening here in Israel. Um, <laughs> I think there's something about the fact that a lot of money has been put into distribution and creation yeah. web series that doesn't really bring the the reward that it was supposed to bring. Uh, that yep. maybe it does something good to this market. People maybe came in with all kinds of assumptions about how to create a web series, what's a good web series. And now they're finding out that there's other considerations that needs to be taken or different kind of uh, thinking that needs to be done in order to really have a successful uh, web series. I've got a bit of a theory as well, and uh, sometimes uh, I get in trouble for it, but what the hell, I'm just going to say it. Like I feel <laughs> like, I, I, I actually feel like One of the reasons why a lot of these platforms have uh, failed, um, I guess we can use that word, that they started up and then they've disappeared, so, is that they, I think, wrongly felt like that the only audience for web series were millennials or for a young audience. And because they feel like millennials live online and use you know, their mobile phones to watch content, which, of course, is very true. But the problem is millennials are used to not paying for content. So uh, if millennials are watching uh, Netflix, often it's their parents' Netflix, um, mm-hmm. or they're watching YouTube. They're watching Vimeo or YouTube, mostly YouTube, and watching things for free. So this idea uh, that particular companies like uh, CISO, Studio uh, Canal, and uh, Black Pills aiming specifically for a younger audience to build a subscription base, I think was short-sighted. I think what most people want is they want good sophisticated viewing you know there should be uh there should be short form stories out there for people that are in their 40s 50s 60s uh i you know i've got lots of friends my age and older who love watching web series and so i think it's really disappointing and i would definitely argue that that my web series are aimed at a, an older audience there is there is an audience there for that kind of material 
Uh, and I think just trying to, I think broadcasters and platforms just trying to make things for a younger audience who generally aren't paying for it was really misguided. Um, and I think if there was networks out there that were quite happy to bank uh, or bankroll stories that were aimed at a, an older audience and therefore an audience who has the money and generally the willingness to pay for content, they would be surprised. Um, so maybe maybe that will shift and I'm, I'm really hoping so because I think, uh, you know, whilst I think it's great that, you know, there are shows out there made for younger people, I also think we should be making shows and catering for, for all audiences and I generally think it's those wider audiences that would probably pay for content and pay for subscription services. So anyway, that's my theory and hopefully, uh, hopefully a few platforms embrace that. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's a very interesting theory and I got a feeling it's very close to, to, to the truth from my from my experience it is it always seems like a weird thing when you can get all these web series for free on YouTube and then you get to this specific platform and it requires you to pay four or five dollars which is not a lot of money but I got yeah. everything also for free why would I pay for something I can kind of get for free or something similar for free Exactly. And if you're, you know, if you're a teenager or early 20s who a lot of these platforms were really, you know, targeting heavily, they, you know, yeah, they're not going to pay. It's not a lot of money, but they're not going to pay $5 a month where, you know, people who are older, who are used to, you know, like myself, I've got a Spotify, you know, I've got Amazon, I've got Hulu, I've got, you know. You, you're just used to paying for content these days. So mm-hmm. um, if somebody launched a platform that was specifically aimed at uh, web series and they were high-quality, sophisticated content, I would pay five bucks a month. That's not a big ask for having mm-hmm. great content. So, so maybe that is just around the corner. I, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of other people I've spoken to as well would gladly pay that kind of money if they yeah. knew they were getting sort of like Netflix, HBO quality short-form drama. People... People don't care about the format. They just want to be entertained with good stories mm-hmm. and good yeah. production values. You know, we've, we've been spoiled now, you know, in the old days of, uh, of online streaming when, you know, technology didn't provide good, uh, good bit rates and things like that for streaming and uh, generally you were getting, you know, smaller chunks of shows whereas now people are watching Netflix on, on their phones and HBO now on, on their phones and that's what they're spoiled they're spoiled and now things have to be of a good quality so we should be trying to back that and um yeah i'm really hoping that somebody out there sets up a a platform aimed at perhaps an older audience i think there's a huge market for it definitely so my last question and kind of the same topic but a little different what you said in an interview you referred to to a conversation that you had that someone told you that web series are cute now do you think they will be cute (laughs) forever or is it going to change uh look another pet hate of mine i (laughs) i think what was really interesting with high life is that we you know we received government finance and produce something that a lot of people have said, you know, I was really hoping it would be, but a lot of people have really said that it was very high production values and it was like, you know, a feature film or a TV show. And yet when I would talk to people about the TV show, about the show, especially those that were already working in television here in Australia or, or elsewhere, they would go, oh, that's cute. You made a web series. And that would drive me insane. <laughs> you know, this mm. idea that, just because it's a web series that it's cute and yeah. therefore it's easily dismissible. And it's like anybody, it was like kids made it. And I, I hate that. Like I hate that attitude and I'm, I'm not sure how we break away from that. I think partly, you know, there's been talk about is it 
you know, because I think web series, when people think of web series, they think of a cheap comedy, um, you know, and so therefore people started playing around with the term digital series. But then I think when you think of digital series, you think of something like Netflix or HBO. So I don't know. I just, I, I hate the perception though, that when you tell people you've made a web series that they just think it's, something that was cheap and small and, you know, like a hobby. Uh, And I I think it's all of our responsibilities in a way to try and, you know, raise the bar and and make better content so that we can show people that web series can be amazing. And so, you know, I, I definitely have experienced that in the last couple of years, I think, ironically, even though I think a lot of the industry in Australia still regards web series as cute, the government funding body here regards them as like a real serious platform uh, and a serious art form as well. So I'm definitely seeing a bit of a shift around the world. And, um, you know, hopefully from what I've seen, you know, there's so many great series coming out, like of really great production values as well. Uh, people are really kind of raising raising the bar around the world. And I think, um, yeah, hopefully that will help. Hopefully that will help raise awareness and, and more respect for the art form. Cool. So, look, that's about it for us today. It was really interesting and really, really insightful to have you with us. I want to thank you very, very much. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. I hope it was interesting for you. And thank you and have a great day. Okay. Bye, Yuval. Bye-bye.